Welcome back to Cerebravore. Today we're going to talk about horror and how to try to run a successful horror RPG maintaining a serious atmosphere. As always, I'm your moderator, Jason, from Nerds RPG Varietycast. I have an esteemed panel today. We're, I guess we'll just go by, um, I'm trying to think here. I, I guess we'll just go alphabetic order. That's the easiest way to do it. So we're, we're going to go with um, Anthony, also known as Runeslinger first of the Casting Shadows Media Empire. How are you doing tonight, Anthony? I'm doing all right, of course. It's morning here. That, that's true. Yeah, you're coming from the future. That's right. Yeah. That's Can't right. let go of that time travel that, that time travel episode. <laughs> no, <Right>. no. <laughs> we definitely get. You, you want to just r- real quickly give us a, a, a brief r- rundown with you with RPGs and maybe horror RPGs, if any? Uh, my first horror RPG was Call of Cthulhu. And uh, that was the first game I really wanted to try running after I realized that I was having some relationship issues with Dungeons and Dragons, you know, and where I had to say to Dungeons and Dragons, you know, it's not you, it's me. And uh, so starting with Call of Cthulhu, where I got a trial by fire in, in how to be scary, right? But it was also kind of an awakening for me that I could be scary and I could be a game master where people were saying, dude, when we play in next, you know, uh, that was a, a real eye opener for me. So I stuck with horror after that beyond the supernatural was an easy segue because we were already playing palladium. And then uh, I never saw a copy of chill to buy just to hear about. So then the next horror thing that came along was World of Darkness, which you could get everywhere. And for about a decade, that's really our primary game. We played other games on the side, but it was all of the World of Darkness games all together, all the time, every day of the week uh, for a very long time. And it's difficult sometimes to bring out the horror aspect of the World of Darkness rather than the violence or the cool powers or whatever and uh most recently jumping many decades most recently alien is what i've been playing very cool and and, and i realize now looking i did not go in alphabetic order i'm going to apologize to alex because <laughs> l does come before n in the english um alphabet. usually but, usually <laughs> but but alex you know one of the hosts of the ultimate effort podcast author of icrpg altered state and but go ahead I'll, I'll let you, you you fill in there alex yeah i'm uh, i'm doubly upset to uh, to go after anthony now after uh, his pedigree i i feel uh, i feel completely lackluster here in comparison um I, I will say i might be the worst guest to talk about horror because um it's not my favorite genre at all um i don't run a lot of it typically um that being said uh, I, I would say in terms of uh, traditional D&D or ICRPG or uh, tons of systems that I have run, 
uh, generally, I really enjoy dark fantasy. So I do pick up some of the horror elements uh, when I run those types of games. Uh, Joe, Joe can certainly attest. Uh, I've, I've run him through the the the, the grist mill a few times. Um, but I but I have been DMing uh, a long time, and I would like um, I would like to think that perhaps tonight, maybe I'm going to have some insight. Uh, maybe for for some folks who are a little bit like me, maybe who are considering uh, running uh, some horror games and, uh, and and maybe some patterns or some behaviors. Uh, to, to really kind of eke out some some in, enjoyable games in, in that genre, so that's my hope, and we'll we'll see if I'm effect, effective uh, in in that vein tonight. Excellent. You're you're the you're 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 the you're you're the person on the panel that our average viewer can relate with, right? That that, that that's my hope, or even below yeah. average, because that's you know that's sort of where I hang out. So, <laughs> and 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 finally, we 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 have Joe, who really doesn't need an introduction, but go, go ahead, Joe. Yeah. Right, needs no introduction because what else could you say about the unknown element? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, it's it's great to be back. Great to see you again, Anthony, Jason, and Alex. Uh, we we're, we're we're together on the Ultimate Effort show, so um, that's a fun thing. I'm used to that guy. Um, but uh, yeah, for horror, like jumping right into it. Um, I'm an author of some horror. I I do. Uh, I frequently mix that in with. <clears throat> most everything I write. Um, I've, I've done a, I have written a horror adventure specifically based into horror. Um, but as far as like my first introduction to it, it started with world of darkness. You know, we, we played a little bit of vampire when that first came out and then werewolf came out and it was like, Oh, and I was a big fan of, you know, American werewolf in Paris or American werewolf yeah. in London. Sorry, the original. So right. I was, I was the forever GM, you know, when we were kids all in the nineties, you know, back high school and everything, junior high. And so I wanted, I wanted American werewolf in, in London. So I started, you know, uh, had all the players started as human and we kind of went more in that more direct horror, less of the violence kind of thing of, you're all mundane, normal folks, kind of a bit, and introducing the werewolves. And then, of course, they all got bitten, infected, and that kind of changed the element of the game. But uh, I'd like to think that 13-year-old me was a, a pretty scary game master. Um, but, you know, it, it has it did carry on. I discovered Call of Cthulhu. Um, I did play quite a bit of that. Um, you know, and I, I've played a lot of systems. We liked to jump back and forth between a lot of games because um, all of our friends, we did kind of rotate through who was playing. And that was usually yeah. week to week or who was running. Um, Mothership was probably the most recent for horror. Uh, that's That's got a, a pretty great handle on that sci-fi spin for it. But uh, I am, I'm, I'm a fan of the genre, even if I don't always run that genre. Uh, I, I do include elements of it in pretty much everything, pretty much every game. There will be some notes because it's it's a good seasoning for the soup. <laughs> so Excellent. That's me. No, great. So, wh- wh- where to start with this? I, I get, l- like I say, we're not going to really talk about playing pulp horror or things like that because that's p- pretty normal. I think that's kind of when we talk horror and RPGs. I think that's the standard what people think of. Even when we do Call of Cthulhu, you, you know, people. It depends on the game master and the game, of course. But but I think a lot of groups probably stock up on the Tommy guns and the you know get their dynamite and and go out. But but that's not really what we're talking about here tonight. Mm-hmm. We're we're talking about actually again. You're, you, of course, and we'll get into this, I guess. But you're you're never going to scare the characters, and you don't necessarily want to. I, I don't think, and I'm interested in your guys' thoughts on this. You're not trying to scare well, the, the players. players. 
but my idea is that the player should like to me a good movie good horror movie is when two days later i'm still thinking about like that was messed up you know and you're still (laughs) processing it right and and to me a good game is that same way where you're you're still thinking you know it's not so much that you know i managed to pull jump scare my players but it's the idea that you know the thoughts and the concepts are you you know the actions of a character are are still you know reverberating down the road and that's a that's a good tag because i mean just what you said it's a jump scare right it's not jump horror horror is the is the overall genre or category of of that condition but then there's things inside it that uh, may or may not be useful to you in in the moment we might not want any jump scares at all we might want that slow build of discomfort and that's all we want is mm-hmm. people to leave the table thinking that was gross or that was messed up or you know right yeah it's it's definitely that really happened yeah, it's it's a tone that you kind of aim for with it. And you know, like we going back to the jump scare again, because I mean, great, great like term right there. But in a role-playing game, like at the table, that's probably one of the harder things to actually do is get the jump scare without that big ah, like jumping <laughs> to scare everybody. Like it's a hard thing to sell that at the table. But I I really think for for a successful horror game. I think the first thing has to start with uh, that player buy-in. All your buddies at the table have to, I mean, you need that little bit of buy-in for everybody to know that this is where we're going. This is what we're aiming for. Because uh, that's that's going to help you achieve that tone, which which kind of pulls the whole thing together. You know, it's where, it's where the goosebumps come from. You know, you can help set some mood lighting, get some candles out on the table. Don't, don't burn your books. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> What yeah, would, if I could yeah, pull up that, a jump scare at the table, that would be amazing. Well, well I mean, it's just sliding and dropping that book, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I suppose when the you know when the bear trap you know goes off, you can slam your hand on the table, mm-hmm. you know, unexpectedly. But I I feel like that sort of thing only works once, maybe, mm-hmm. right? And 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 so in terms of you know like what we're talking about, um, you know, it, it, I think there's a disconnect right between feeling these things as a person. And then being a person behind a character in a, in a game, right? So you could go out to all the fright farms that are out right now during the month of October, and and you could experience the traditional pieces of horror. You know, you can experience uncertainty, you can experience loss of control, you you can experience all these things that frighten you. But in terms of translating that at the table, I think that's a whole different ball game um, because I think there's a disconnect. Uh, and, yeah. and, and and certainly we can't even reach people as as game masters the same way that movies or other media do. We don't have the same pacing. We don't have the same visual elements. We don't have those same uh, uh, same same pieces at our disposal. And, and I think it's a it's, it's a much more difficult burden. It's true. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree you, with that. Or, go ahead. You familiar with familiar with Dread? Yep. Yeah, that's the cat. The game of the candles, yeah. right? Or is that the Jenga Tower? Oh, right. Ten candles is what the, but it's in the same kind of category. Mm -hmm. Right. So you've got the Jenga Tower. And so that's directly designed to impact the player. There's your jump scare. And and people will love it because they are afraid of being, you know, of knocking it over. They're invested in the, in the risk. You know, if I, you know, this, this is the game mechanic. This is the risk and reward. 
It's all physical. It's all centered in the player. Mm-hmm. Which means that that in-character experience, right, separate from myself or the on a on a more authorial level, my awareness of what the character is experiencing, those are both kind of relegated to the background while that foreground player experience of real actual dread or at least anticipation is brought into the foreground it's not my character that's afraid it's it's me that's afraid yeah and uh and that's it's an interesting flip whereas i'm not going to have that in a call of cthulhu game but i can still have the anticipation right about the about the dice and does the play group know how to translate that emotion about the dice into a, a recognition of the feeling of the character? I'm nervous because I want to roll the right number, but my character is nervous because they're opening the door. Right. So then the dice becomes opening the door in a way that the Jenga tower falling doesn't. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. For, for folks who can't see, because they'll be listening to this, I'm nodding vigorously at everything that Anthony's <laughs> saying just now. <laughs> right. I, I want to make that clear. Yeah, because yeah. uh, yeah, th- you can go too far. Now, dread is a little bit different because it is that you know physical interaction. But 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 I think there are certain things environmentally you can do to help. And obviously, this is going to change online. Online play changes this dramatically. Mm-hmm. But you know, in person, you can do things like turn down the lights and, you know, um, you know, put candles around, things like that. I, e- even though you probably can pull off a jump scare, like dropping a book once during the game or something like that, I don't know. I, I actually know somebody, I wasn't in this game, but, but, but I know somebody who had coordinated with the roommate that to have the roommate go outside during the game and, and, and like tap on the windows and stuff, and <laughs> oh, which is really good. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but you don't want to get to the point where you're doing like a like a Billy Freakin thing, right? Like you know the director of the Exorcist, where you're shooting a shotgun off behind somebody, right? You, you, yeah. you know to get the actor to jump. You you, right. you can take like the physical thing too far. Not that I was suggest. Not that I'm saying anybody would do that, but but I think maybe tr- go, trying to go with the physical props or like props are a different thing. I, and I'm sure we'll talk about the props. environment. Yeah. yeah, but yeah. but yeah, the environment. I think and or trying to get that you know, loud noise, jump scare thing. I think maybe you can, you can detract from the game. If you, if you lean into that kind of thing too much. I mean, Hey, you can turn the air conditioning up. Yeah. Give everybody a little extra chill. Like just those little things like that, that can kind of just like heighten that edge. I mean, it's more of like yeah. into that immersion. Mm-hmm. But I, I do have to yeah. call out again. You mentioned the slamming the book or sliding the book off the table. I cannot believe in my entire history of gaming. I have never once thought about doing that to get a jump scare at the table just dropping a book uh, it's that's that's brilliant man <laughs> i can't believe i'm right over my head that's great are you guys stand up gms or sit down gms i'm a stander like i mean live in person live in person games i usually yeah. stand because i i don't know like i mean alex can tell you i even when i'm even when we're playing online because you know we we usually play online regularly I mean, you guys can see it right now. Those who can't see the vid- like see the video, I'm I'm animated when when I talk. Yes. Like I'm using my hands and everything. So I, I usually stand up because that's I got that energy and like I try to hype the table. I guess so. Like I'm just used to trying to 
make the table an energetic space. Uh, I like to do the voices and things. I'll do, you know, like the hunched over for some of the NPCs like, or, you know, different yeah. things. Like, so I, I'm definitely a stander. I, I stand to, to do that. And in horror, it can actually be a benefit because you kind of get that towering over the top of people. And that can yeah. kind of help like set things a little on edge. And it, again, that kind of, I guess, ties back to like that environment or, you know, that tone. Yeah. yeah. How about I, you guys? I, well, yeah, go ahead and answer that. And then I've got a, a question after that, but, but let's throw it to Alex. Do you, are you a, a sitter or a stander? Uh, I think I'm primarily a sitter. I mean, I think certainly there are times where I might end up standing, you know, during an exciting moment, but for sure, I'm probably going to be sitting at the table and um, I, I want to talk in a minute, maybe how I might approach this. Cause I don't, I don't know that I necessarily would do like slasher type horror. If I were to run horror, I don't know that I would do jump scare type horror. I think in a way, even for me, the, the slow burn would probably be a little bit easier to run. Um, and I, I'll tell you some of my thoughts I had sort of uh, in anticipation of this talk, but, but go ahead, Jason, what's your question? Uh, well, what I was going to say before we get too deep, I, if I, for us, maybe there's an understood thing, but, but we, we should approach this for a general audience Definitely. We kind of touched on this, but you, you really need to have that, whether you want to call it session zero, whether, you know, it's what Joe had talked about, you know, talk with your players ahead of time. But you, you really need to know where you can and can't go to, to be safe, because it's one thing to un, to unsettle your players in a way that they're OK with. It's another thing to probe at something that they're not comfortable with being probed. Right. If, if right. they have that, you, you know, overwhelming fear of spiders or they have some traumatic event that's happened in their life that they definitely don't want to revisit. You, you, you know what I mean? So, so definitely you want to, you know, horror is a game where safety tools are important. And the idea of knowing your players, which can be hard at a convention game, right? Or, or you know, an impromptu game. But, but I would say, you know, if you had any sort of time at all, session zero or whatever before the session, I, I would probably even poll the audience, so to speak, and say, you know, when you think of horror, you know, what is it about it that really sort of amps you up? You know, is it the blood and gore? Are you more of the, you know, you you just want to see, like, throw me in, coach. Let me see if I can survive. Um, or, or do you more prefer, like, a jump scare type thing? Like, what is it that that you really sort of appreciate in the genre? And then I might try to sort of tailor the game uh, to, to try to hit as many of those uh, pieces as possible, you know? Right. That's really satisfying when you're playing with your group. You know, so that you can keep more things close to the vest, right? You know that that Bob's afraid of spiders, so we're not going to have spiders in this thing, but we can have something that can that can help Bob bridge the gap between his fear of spiders and what's happening to his character, right? There can be a scuttling. Yeah, lots of things scuttle, and I don't really like things that's that scuttle. So he's thinking it better not be spiders. He's giving you, you know, he's looking daggers at you. Better not be spiders, man. But then, you know, you walk it back and, and you can play with it without ever crossing his line, without ever having to talk about it. And I think that's, that's what's really hard at convention games or whatever when you're playing the strangers is uh, how to be fair to the player and fair to the scenario and fair to whatever reason, you know, to yourself. Yeah. Why did you want to run this thing? finding that that common ground um so a lot of the safety tools these days are being published under the the header of 
of uh, not getting consensus, right? Not getting a, agreement, but getting permission. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And, you know, is it okay for me to do this? Um, which can, you know, make horror in particular not much fun in that convention environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it, I basically wouldn't at this point in my life, I, I wouldn't bother going to a convention to run a horror game. Uh, I save it for yeah. my friends. And, right. Uh, yeah, that's that's a good. That's definitely a good point. So I mean, yeah. even even among friends, there are there are topics that I just will never touch because mm-hmm. right. I don't like them. So like, I mean, but I mean, with spiders, I have a problem with spiders, but I don't mind having them in a game because I know that spider's not real. Even though it's <laughs> going to make me squirm in my chair, I know it's not real, and I'm about to roll to attack it or roll to run the hell away. But oh, I love yeah. things like that, like, you know, fear of spiders, I'll take the spiders because I, I know it's something that, especially if it's a horror game, I know that's something that's already going to help me immerse myself and help my character be a little bit more, you know, into it, you know, get, you know, that full player buy in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah but, but yeah, it's definitely your, with your group and, mm-hmm. and we can probably move pet like, like I've played games with people whose spouses have committed suicide, right? <laughs> so suicide or anything uh, you know is off the table in those kind of games which is fine and and it would be disrespectful to them as a person to to cross those lines and oh i'm going to push it you know so it but that's something your your group needs to work through and yeah and 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 you can do but um i I just wanted to bring that up just because we're you you know we i I think we're all there on that but we you know that since it's a a podcast going out Mm -hmm. to everyone you you know the internet right the quote unquote the internet right so <laughs> I was I was asking about standing up because it's one of the tools that I like to use about controlling the environment is I can control myself. Mm-hmm. So I might be sitting down because you're having that that conversation with the lawyer about, well, you've just inherited this house and there's it's a great house, but there's one or two problems with it, you know, like the the ghost or, right. or whatever. It's not the plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So for that I might be sitting down. But then when they meet the agitated groundskeeper, I might be standing up and I might be physically showing agitation and and not in an acting performance kind of way, but mm-hmm. just a little bit to to like the, the subwoofer in, in your car you know, to add a little bit of, of oomph to it. But there's also my position in the room. Mm-hmm. Where am I standing? So if I'm in if I'm in a living room like this, where all the furniture is against the wall. I'm kind of trapped in the center of the room. I can only meet you face on. So I don't like to play games in the living room. I like to play them where I can get behind you also. Yeah. Walk around the table. Right. And I might spend a considerable amount of time standing behind Jason. I'm not even, his character isn't even in the scene. I just keep standing behind Jason. And then at one point I might lean down and kind of whisper close to him where only he can hear something about his character, you know, and uh, that's good. like, how is it to be locked in the trunk of that car? And then I just walk away and he's thinking, I'm, my character's locked in the trunk of the car. How'd that happen? And then I was all agitated. Then I can come back and, you know, so uh, that kind of stuff's a lot of fun, but I might have someone who actually gets really uncomfortable, not enjoyably upset, but upset. And uh, so that's a, it's an interesting line. Mm-hmm. to walk but uh, yeah no no it's yeah it, it definitely well and i think maybe um well you, 
did you ask somewhere else you were going, Alex, before we I, I switch us up? Well, I don't know where you're going. So Well, I was gonna say so <laughs> so I guess some genres are probably easier to do than others, right? Within well, horror. So you mentioned slasher earlier, and and why you could do slashers here. Typically, slashers, especially when we think of well, due to our age, we're all roughly around the same age. I'm going to assume, and you know, so for you know, growing up, it's Friday Thirteenth, Halloween, you know, My Bloody Valentine, right? And, and so we're you're, you know, for us, the slashers, they're not really that scary. They're, you know, it's more you're looking for an event of kills, and so they're not right. real. And, and a, you know, and which is embodied in some games like Slasher Flick, where it has ways to have multiple characters, so you can definitely have character deaths during the game, you know, because mm-hmm. what's a slasher if you don't have a high body count? But, but if you're doing the more serious thing, that would be the way, yeah. But if you're doing a more serious game, then it will probably be better. And I'm definitely interested in hearing your thoughts on this just to have that one character because if you're balancing multiple characters, that's going to make it harder to you know really get in the mindset of that single character so maybe a slasher isn't a great genre to use if you're doing the the, this kind of game any thoughts on are there you know any thoughts on that as far as picking the genre of horror that you're going to use for these kind of games i I think i think it would be harder to to run that type of game i mean to sort of touch on anthony's point you know and the, the life that he sort of breathes into his npcs you know that that in and of itself is a is another piece that I think sort of gets turned up to an eleven in a horror game, um, not just the people who are potentially antagonists, but then also, uh, you know, voicing or giving life to some of the other characters in reaction to the PCs. Like you know, you you reach into the corpse and the sheriff is over there, kind of like you know, starts puking in the corner, right? Like like giving breath and life to those NPCs in in that moment, I think is, is a little bit beyond even the scope of what you might do in a normal game. And then it's just awesome to hear how Anthony, you know, even actually gets up <laughs> and moves behind people and, and, and is animated and agitated at the same time as some of the NPCs. I, I feel like you, you can do that in other games, but I think it's, it's much more, it would be much more pronounced in a horror game. And, and therefore I think it's sort of harder to run right. for, for that reason. Right. Yeah. yeah I, I'm, I definitely, I'm in agreement on the slasher thing that, that kind of, that's a whole lot of body count and everything else. And I do love a good slasher flick, you know, 80s. We all grew up with them mm-hmm. and they were great. But I, I think, you know, the, the more specific genre might almost, I don't know, almost works better, you know, when you start thinking of things like, you know, poltergeist uh, or, you know, more along those lines where, and I know uh, I'll, I'll let you bring up the poltergeist method there, Alex. So I first heard about that from you, but, but something more like that, where it's, it's not so much that there's a body count and sometimes maybe there isn't even a body to begin with, you know, unless it's, you have to take out the ghost or some such, you know, um, I mean, heck, uh, ghostbusters, that's a little more on the pulpy comedy side, but it, at its heart, it kind of had that same kind of tonal thing where it's this, it's this intangible kind of terror it's there and everybody knows it's there. And maybe sometimes you catch a glimpse of it, you know, that, that shadow that moves across, Oh no, it's just a tree. It's fine. Or was it a tree? Yeah. You know, those kind of things where it's there, but it's not there really. I, I think, I think that kind of genre probably works a little better for that more serious horror style game, I think. And uh, especially with the NPC work and I I'm using that standing behind people. 
unless they're generally like uncomfortable. But yeah, yeah no, that's a great, that's a good one. That's tasty. Yeah, the environment is is kind of neat. Like, yeah. um, someone is like in Call of Cthulhu, someone's starting to lose sanity. Mm-hmm. One thing I like to do is like after we take a bathroom break or something, their chair has been moved a little bit farther away from other people. Like, you know, there's just that moment. Then like some people will just sit in the chair and then other people will move it back and say, no, oh, maybe you could. these are all you know things that are affecting the player definitely but you know when the lights are low and the candles are flickering if you're doing all of that if you're going to that level of performance it really starts to get into you know on your on a subconscious level which unfortunately yeah it's a lot harder to do online but Mm -hmm. um props (laughs) i (laughs) i once had a group of adults, fully grown, healthy fighting men, afraid to open a door because I gave them something on a piece of paper as a comparison. There was an ooze coming out from under the door, and they said, well, what does it look like? And I described the colors, a rich, dark brown, maybe black in the light. It's hard to tell because ambiguity is your friend, right? It's hard to mm-hmm. tell. Maybe this, maybe that. And they said, well, I'm going to touch it. Is it, is it cold? Well, you know, it's not, not exactly cold. It's kind of room temperature. Oh, and it's sticky. It's sticky. Well, sticky was kind of the the breaking point. And then one guy was like, well, what does it smell like? And I said, just a second. And I reached around behind me and I pulled out this piece of paper, which had a, a dark oozing brown, sticky liquid on it. And I said, it smells exactly like this. And they took it and went, Oh, now they were smelling molasses. <laughs> but their brains told them right <laughs> so that was interesting and in the game there were barrels of molasses behind the door which had been broken and the molasses had oozed out from under the door it was realia 100 it was actually molasses i was describing molasses they were smelling molasses i gave them molasses to touch and smell and they would not go through the door and I learned a lot that day about both what to do and what what not to do, right? You can absolutely stop play by piling on the, you know, piling on the junk. But you can also make play really real by talking about the other senses. Were they actually in a molasses factory in the fiction? Was it actually <laughs> molasses in the fiction? Yeah, in the fiction, in the, in the imagined space, it was actually molasses. Yeah, Crates that's, of molasses. that's brilliant. Also, that's what I'm saying, like when it, when I mentioned, like their brains were telling them something else, like they could have known flat out, like one of them could have been a cook going like that's molasses, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Is yeah. it molasses? But like, like you said, that ambiguity, it's, yeah. that's so that's when you tell the story, it sounds like a, a victory for horror, but it's actually an example of going too far. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's still, I mean, it's still good though. You know the the lead up, I should say. That's that's pretty wild. That is awesome. Yeah, props props can definitely be your friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, definitely, and, and and you don't necessarily need to go to the lengths of what we did. You, you know your Halloween parties where you you, you you know you have a spaghetti and you know this is his <laughs> you know, this is what his brains right. feel like or whatever. Right, right, right. right. But the you no know, props. I mean, 
that's the, such the advantage of face-to-face groups. Because the online groups, you can have, oh, here's the PDF of the half-burned, crumpled-up note, you, you know, but it's just not the same mm. as, as handing somebody a, a piece of paper that you've burned the edges of and, you, yeah, you, yeah. you know, crumpled or whatever, right? It Faded ink. There's that tactile. Yeah. You know, bits. Yeah. So uh, do, do you guys use props in your physical, in your face-to-face games? somewhat like it it kind of depends like the notes and you know maps papers like that generally i'll do kind of things like that um if if it's like a if it's like a real serious game and we've been going for a couple sessions you know we're we're you know more in the campaign territory um i there's specific elements i might start upping that that prop thing you know it might be you know if if i can find something that looks like an actual object or something that they have in the game or that they're going to discover you know, I'll start bringing more of those elements in, but but I I wouldn't say I'm generally a prop game master at the table. You know, other than the kind of I guess easier ones to do, which which are kind of the papers and you know torn fragments or a scrap of cloth or something. If it's mystery, you know, like oh. the typical Call of Cthulhu investigation, mm-hmm. then I I want to have the clues, whatever they are, in the in the players' hands, uh, the matchbook or or the uh, the letter or the map or whatever, so that they can do the the deduction themselves. Yeah. yeah. In, in just horror, you know, like a, a typical game of vampire, I'm very unlikely to mm-hmm. to use props mm-hmm. and things. Yeah, I, I would I would think you know I don't use a lot of props generally, and the fear for me, I mean, I have in the past, but the fear for me is always immersion. Uh, so I like to keep emerging hugely high. And I think sometimes you can walk that fine line, right? Is that people getting engrossed in props or what have you at the table, they can lose those story, uh, those pieces of story immersion uh, that are that are so critical. At, at least generally, that's sort of my style is that I would generally uh, prefer to control a lot of these super story beats and events that are happening, um, n- not necessarily through things that I things that I hand out. So that's. Uh, just my perspective, but I'd be happy, Anthony, to sit in one of your Call of Cthulhu games or one of your mystery games, and and because uh, I think that would be a treat, probably. Right. It's uh, all fear and games until the molasses comes out. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> drowning in molasses. <laughs> Get back from the bathroom break, and my chair's adjusted. <laughs> so, so, so let me ask this: Do we? So, Anthony, you. We're talking about this, and, and and you're a lot of, or you did a lot, have done a lot of World Darkness. Can't speak, in um, vampire and whatnot. Uh, yeah. Do you find there's a difference in, because from from my experience, it's to get good horror or or that good atmosphere. It's easier. People are just everyday people, and, and even like mm-hmm. when we did Blacklight. So Mark, the the guy who wrote ICRPG Blacklight, ran a game of it that Alex and I were in. And it was a great game. And but and we were agents, so we weren't like average people, right? But we weren't superheroes or you know, supernatural right. creatures or anything like that. And but do do you find it's harder to, to get the results if people are playing you, you know vampires or playing, you know, higher powered characters? I did at first, and there was a real enthusiasm for you know, and werewolf being able to shift to your Krenos form in the supermarket and, you know, all, all this stuff or in mage, 
they're throwing a lot of paradoxical magic around or or breaking through the shroud and wraith and you know there was a lot of excitement and so i had to learn as the as the, the storyteller um to to let people enjoy their characters because horror has a often has a a sense of weakness you can't do something or you shouldn't do something or you'll probably die if you do something but those games were personal horror and it was an interesting shift you know like the, the vampire i felt a game wasn't going well if the players at least their character right their connection to their character they realized that they were crossing a line they were transgressing in some way so for me in vampire feeding was the game mm -hmm. for the players the political stuff going on in the background how they were trying to to gain some advantage from an elder that's what they thought the game was but for me the game was what are you actually going to do in tonight's feeding session and you know who is going to be tonight's victim and how far are you going to go and you know how how many of of the pieces of evidence that you leave behind are you going to cover up because eventually maybe there'll be a police officer. And then what are you going to do about the police officer? And, and so that's, we were playing on different levels. Shifting to werewolf, it wasn't really for me about the killing. It was about watching the world die and being incredibly personally, physically powerful. And yet in that context, having no power whatsoever, you are fighting the losing battle. How are you gonna go out? Um, and you know, mage likewise. You know, I can I can bend reality and and but look at the souls of everyone around me dying. You know, so trying to communicate that um, with strangers was real work. And then as they became part of the group, it became easier. Like we developed a language, or people began to expect certain things from my game rather than my friend's game. You know. My friend's game is the one where you're throwing fireballs downtown and the technocracy has to come in and, and clean up. And in my game, well, you run a halfway house for for kids from broken homes who can do magic, right? And this world is going to grind them up and spit them out. What are you going to do about it? So. Uh, All about the tone. Mm -hmm. Well, well I, I, you know, I will say, guys, you know, we sort of dance around this. We talked about some of the different styles, but I think all of us, in a way, maybe are sort of talking about what I kind of consider maybe the slow burn sort of horror type game. That's and, my and, preferred thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and whether you're an agent or not, th this is sort of how I sort of see it. You know, as human beings, right, we, we crave really sort of two things in order to have comfort. We crave certainty and we crave control. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 to me, horror is at its best when you, as a DM, deprive those two things. Yes. So yes. so in terms of certainty, I think what we're talking about for me, it's always this growing sense of dread or impending doom. And then the loss of control, this mounting pressure that nothing is going to plan. The equipment breaks, the, the environment <laughs> is is at odds with us. All of these things keep, you know, no one is coming. The house has locked itself, and now we're stuck. Whenever it's DM, you're taking sort of the, all those little things away, and you're making players more desperate. That's when I think horror really 
uh, really sort of shines. And I don't think that sort of template or formula, I don't think it matters if you're an agent fighting creepy little children. I don't think it matters if you're, you know, vampires or werewolves and your world is ending and you're losing control and you're losing certainty in terms of the, the normal realm of your experience. I think if those things are happening at your table, I think potentially you're going to, you're going to have a good horror game on your hands. That's just my thought. So, yeah. no, I think that's a great point because that's why I, I think, and I think that's how Delta green can kind of get misinterpreted sometimes because people think Delta yeah. green is we're going to, you know, throw grenades at the Cthulhu monsters, but played right. It's that's why aliens works, right. Or alien works. Cause you get overwhelming. That's why the mechanoids, you guys have all played palladium. I don't know if any of you played mechanoids, but the mechanoids, that's why that works. Cause you, you know, yeah, you've got laser guns and all this stuff, but it doesn't matter because you're insignificant compared to the, these, these horrible, you know, cyborg creatures that are out to destroy all humanoids. Right. And, yeah. and you're, it's just a, you're trying to survive as long as you can. And you know, it really is about yeah. survival, especially in those types. Yeah. Indeed. Um, well, and, and oh, sorry, not, I, I was just gonna, not just uh, not just survival of the characters, but survival of of the game. Like, are you right. doing one shots? Then you can really dial up the horror, mm-hmm. you know, the despair, and right. it's okay for everybody to die at the end, kind of thing. Or are you playing a Call of Cthulhu campaign? Well, how many players are want to going to want to be desperate, depressed, and feel powerless for the eighteen months it takes to play? <laughs> massive Nyarlathotep or something like that, you know? Uh, yeah, it, it's it's a fine line to walk. Right. Man, yeah. That's some deep think, and y'all are smarter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, we, we were talking a little bit about that before the podcast started. Uh, Jason and I were discussing that, you know, but I, I think, to your point, Anthony, it would be way easier to do all that sense of dread, that lost control, and to really heighten that desperation in a one shot, or or maybe even a two shot, or something like that. Yeah. But if you're talking about trying to keep that over that level of uh, uncertainty and lost control over an entire campaign, I, I think that would be just terrible. It's, I think it would be so hard to to do that <laughs> because I, I feel like you know either players would check out or they just sort of grow numb or accustomed to it. Um, eventually. And so if you have any thoughts on that, maybe over the long haul, uh, in terms of your experience, I, I would be grateful uh, for your advice. The, the alien campaign that we're in has this problem as its central theme, or at least the way people look at alien, like how could you play a campaign game of alien? Once you've met the alien, then there's no thrill. And, and recently nightfall games released Terminator, which has the same kind of, backlash against it like well you know once you meet the terminator so what and uh i think they are one of the problems is that we're thinking about being sarah connor who knows nothing and then discovers terminators are real and has to survive horror yep right and the challenge i was faced with was everybody in the in the play group wanted to play colonial marines so highly trained highly competent well-armed Right. And we've seen in the movies that they can stand up against the xenomorphs physically, given good uh, control of the terrain, you know, good, good tactics and strategy. So none of the people in the group, well, one of the guys in the group likes horror. The other two prefer action. And they kind of agreed to play 
Alien as long as we played it for a, a limited run. So I don't really have an audience that wants a lot of horror. I want kind of military action. So I have to balance out my own drives, kind of minimize my own drives for horror, um, but still be true to Alien. So it's it's exactly this situation. How do I how do I keep this going? So I had to remind myself to to set up missions where their competence can be assumed, right? Where they can feel like these characters are well trained, are competent, they can do these things, and then into that horror comes. You know, right? So. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking, you know, potentially like you you build challenges. So you you would build it up, things go out of control, and then they're in the soup, but then maybe they get that sense of relief and then they prevail. But then they move on to the next phase and then it it starts all over again, right? In in that right. universe, is that sort of what you're uh, well, talking about? In my in in my world of darkness days, I definitely did it that way because that's how the game was talking to us. Like you are the storyteller. You've got all these tools. You're manipulating things on a story level, right? And you know we're going to focus on a slide into darkness. So we're going to manipulate circumstances or situations so that we have that experience. So everything was was manipulating the story. Uh, now, what I've I've gone back to doing is not focusing on story as a product, but focusing on What's there? What's like the old days with dungeons, right? What's there? What should be there? What can't be there? Why is it there? What is it doing while it's there? And then the player characters are going to go through that area and everything is going to react, act or interact as they would. Mm -hmm. So my very competent group of Marines, unfortunately for them, crash landed on LV-426. And they had to survive there for quite a while. So they felt <laughs> very impressed with themselves for, you know, like a very little water, very little food, right? And they yep. made their way to the crash site. Nobody forced them to go to the crash site. There were reasons why they should go to the crash site. And so as we play through this, you know, they're, they're recognizing we're going to the crash site. And they're all thinking as players, the eggs are there. Their characters know the eggs are there. Right, so that everything is matched up, and then they went inside the ship. So inside, I'm like, yay! But at the same time, I'm thinking, okay, well, this is where they come face to face with with xenomorphs. But they went in there, locked and loaded. They were ready. They they took control of their of their situation. They did the best that they could, and then horror dropped on them like a hammer. No spoilers. If you want to find out what happened, you can go and, and see it. It was all well, recorded live. Well, you're, you're you just almost described my whole DM style, which is you know the the world exists. I drop yeah. players lo loose in it, and off they go. And good luck, mm -hmm. you know. And then right. and then the and then the world reacts to the decisions they make. Yep, that's right. what I do. It's because trying to plan. It, it's okay to you, you know you figure out the factions, you figure out what's there, and you can give the players an initial push initial problem right right in the very mm -hmm. initial setup but after that any plans you have are going to get derailed because the player is going to oh, yeah. choose something odd you know and, and you don't want to take away their choice so it's easier just to know your world and be able to 
react to what the players are doing while the factions are still doing what they're going to do. And if the players interact with them, great. They might change what they do. If not, then those plans will go forward, right? But, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. For those, all those same reasons you guys talked about, you know, because no plan survives interaction with players. Mm-hmm. Uh, I keep all of my notes so brief. I'll have like, this is my whole truth. Like, you know, and it's usually just a couple sentences of this is what is happening. And then there's just a couple bullet points of these are the things that are going to happen when they go to these spaces. And and it's it's more reaction to those choices of the players than anything else. True. That's that's definite definite truth. Yeah. I think now one shot focus. Or, or, go ahead. Sorry, I, I apologize. Uh, sorry. I think games to focus more on dealing with the story involve more negotiation somehow, mm-hmm. like spending currency or um you're rolling to see who gets to narrate or describe or or whatever. So, but I find that also affects the ability to have that in-character experience. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm trading my appreciation for a horror story that's going to be magnified for my ability to immerse in the perspective of the character. You know, so it's it's not worse, it's just different. And you know, if I really like horror stories, then I'm going to enjoy being a part of making one. Mm-hmm. And if I enjoy experiencing a character who can maybe overcome this horrible situation if the dice let me, you know, then I'm going to prefer some other, other kind of game. I I think that maybe gives us a good segue here to, I I was just going to mention, I I guess in one shots, you know, you're more linear kind of venture, you know, it was a little more acceptable than a, you know, campaign, obviously, but I guess that brings us to the question. It's a good segue, the idea of systems and and, and we don't have to, you know, and, and I think you could do probably do hard with just about any game system, rule system. Sure. But some are d- definitely more help. Some systems help you more than others, right? And yeah. and, and I'm curious on your ideas on, or, or is meta currency? I guess it depends what you want to do with it. Because some of these games are built for horror, right? Like Dead of Night, and, mm-hmm. and some of these games are built with the idea where the meta currency help. You know, when they do things to help, like with the uh, genre expectations is when they get like meta currency and things, you know, so, but it's not, you know, to help the story. And I, and I apologize for wit- wittering here, but you know, some game system, but do meta, does meta currency in general, is that a, a negative in, in these kind of things, I, I guess, are there better game systems to run than others? And, and as call through the seventh edition made that more difficult than previous editions call through, not to pick on chaos, but, since that's the big big boy in the room, right? Right. That's- well, I mean, I think meta currencies, like, I mean, I I don't have a problem with them. Like, you know, if they are part of a system, you know, if if, if they're a built-in part of the system, like I'm I'm all for using them because you know, just just knowing that element or that 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 tone you're setting in going into a horror game, letting the players have something that can maybe uh buy their way out of a situation, you know, in, in that whole like metagaming bit, like. I'm all for it. Let them have it because I mean, it's kind of a trade-off, right? I mean, they've, they've got like this, this ability, whatever this, this meta currency happens to be in, in a given system, they have this ability to lighten things up for them. Um, that works great in that scene. And, and that's something that you as a GM can actually utilize knowing that they have that you can come in with like that heavy sweeping, you know, darkness mm-hmm. or, or, you know, not, pushing boundaries or anything but you can come in with like maybe a heavier hand on like that that uh um 
reveal or that uh, that mounting terror that something is generally wrong, you can kind of like dial that up a little bit because the players have this this ability to say like, whoa, okay, well, let's let's turn on some of these lights here. You know, I'm going to do such and such and whoop and shed some light into this, and that kind of gives them. Um, I guess almost like a, like a release, like, like they have control of the pressure valve. So like, you know, the, right. the steam doesn't build and build and build and blow that boiler tank. Like they can let some of that bleed out and then it builds again, you know, it, it kind of, uh, and I, I, I'm sure that's something like all of us have done in games, you know, it's that there's that, that kind of roller coaster, those peaks and valleys throughout the game, but, uh, I'm, I'm all for a meta currency because that's, that's just another tool that, um, can kind of help with the player immersion. You know, it lets them uh, uh, have that creative freedom of how they're going to implement being able to use this currency. How am I going to spend it this time? What things do I have that are going to let me dial this thing down? So, um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it's great, you know, and, and there are quite a few games that have those elements built in, which I, I'm all for them, <laughs> uh, especially as a player and as a GM. Like, I love them as a player. Uh, and I love players having them as a GM because that just means I, think I that's, quack more. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I, I like them as a game master mm-hmm. and I don't like them as a player. <laughs> the The way that I prefer to play is very in character. Mm-hmm. So I don't really want to talk about the system if I don't have to. Mm-hmm. Right. So I like to play a game for a long time so that you know, we have nonverbal signals about, about, about things. And so if I've got like in a 2d 20 game, if I have momentum and the game master has, has threat, I want to use physical chips for this so that I can slide a point of momentum across the table and not say, I'm going to spend a point of momentum to gain an extra point of damage. And everybody's, Oh, good idea. Good. You know. Yeah, exactly. That's totally fun in Star Trek. You know, like we're playing on a, on a different, Plane in Star Trek. We're going for different play goals in Star Trek, and I enjoy that part of it. But in a horror game, I don't want that conversation about the use of the system. I want the system to be known and familiar, but not, you know. But as the game master, I never get to reach that level. I don't have anything to immerse in as a character, mm-hmm. right? So it, it doesn't bother me at all. And I really like the players to have those tools. So it's it's a a little disconnection going on for me there. <laughs> well, I think that's the thing though, is like uh, as a player liking liking to have those things. Um, like, like you had mentioned, having that physical thing that you can just slide over instead of having to, you know, oh, I'm spending this to do this thing. You know, it's uh, it's it's that ability to slide something over or let it be known in some other fashion without saying I'm spending a Benny or whatever, yeah. some such, mm-hmm. you know, being able to do it in character with something that's, you know, helping your character goals, you know, like literally it could be turning on the light or cash this thing in or whatever, like, holy crap, I have a book of matches, you know, cash it in and like yeah. you know, things like that. Like when you can spend it to in, in a character moment, like that's, that's where I enjoy having them. Yeah. And I, I will burn through those in the first encounter. i'll use them all and that's good play (laughs) joe Joe is a bit notorious at our table in in that respect they they don't they don't survive like the first five minutes typically (laughs) 
funny. Anthony's done a, I, you did on your podcast. I don't know if you did a YouTube channel. I think it was on your blog too, but it were specifically for alien, how the right. verbiage of the game helps you stay in that immersion. Right. Yeah. The, uh, the terms they use in the year zero engine and, and that were colored for alien are very natural you know, mm-hmm. stress, for example. And, uh, so, you know, rather than please take one point of of esoteric dread. OK, you know, it's just like you're starting to feel a little bit more stress. And, you know, and you can just gesture, you know, like how how much stress can be added. And you're still communicating. You're still communicating on the player level, but you're not engaging that that human interaction part, the, 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 the verbal interaction part with the game mechanics. And uh, yeah. Yeah. so shoot aim and uh, so rather than i use my firearm skill and i apply the aim bonus right mm-hmm. i'm going to shoot him and i'm going to take my time i'm going to aim it's a completely different experience yeah that's one of the things uh you know the way the system is written one of the reasons i love icrpg because the language for the mechanics is that same way it's very conversational mm-hmm. whether a task is easy or a task is hard you know um is this what you're going to attempt to do? You know, like, well, how much effort do you put into it? You know, they're all like terms that are very specific and very conversational so that it doesn't feel like you're, you know, jumping into, like, like you said, uh, plus two to this, uh, I am attacking for blah, blah, you know, it's, it's a lot more, it's a lot more natural. And and that definitely is a thing that helps, you know, with a, with a system, especially if you're going into horror, because nothing breaks immersion. Like, you know, Oh, hold on. It's a, tactical advantage two right so that's going to give me an extra d6 to yeah like boom all of a sudden nothing is scary mm-hmm. anymore and you have to start all over <laughs> yeah. right so if you don't play in a game where atmosphere where atmosphere is the goal then all of that stuff searching the character sheet finding the perfect solution having the perfect feet that can be really exciting and really fun i you know my i feel like my tone is going to make it sound like i hate that kind of play but i don't a lot of my friends really make it fun but um if we're going for horror if it's going to be this slow burn very fragile mood or tone then we have to recognize it can be broken you know and uh, so what can we do to to mitigate it or what can we ramp up to kind of balance it out and, uh, mm-hmm. indeed so, so so what haven't we asked that you're curious about alex We'll, we'll put you in the, the listener's chair here again. Um, it, it, you know, I, I, I would just add to that, to that last piece, you know, I want a system that's going to get out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't, I don't think it really matters what that system is, but to Anthony's point to me, immersion is the key. Um, I, I have not played dread before. I'm going to play it here in a few weeks um, at a convention. Cool. I, I signed up to play. We're all, uh, we're all survivors uh, in this, in a survivor show. Like literally, like Survivor on an island, but apparently there's something else on the island. So I'll be curious <laughs> to see how that goes with a Jenga tower and whether or not the immersion stays high at the table with that uh, with that physical stress involved that we talked about. The, oh, I just had that in a bow, but um, but um, it's going to be but, fun regardless. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. It, it's going to be a hoot. Um, but to me, whatever that system is, I really would prefer something that just gets out of the way so that so that, that immersion level can stay high. To me, that is my polar star. That is the goal. 
Um, that is my vision, my mission statement, you know, like whatever uh, your, your, your key is, that's, that's key for me. Um, in terms of, you know, what I would ask, I don't know. I, I would, I would just kind of throw this out there. And this is something that I thought about and I would be curious for your all's reaction. You know, one of the ways that I might manage this maybe for a one shot or eat, manage horror in a one shot, or even as a new DM is I would try to look at certain story beats and try to have certain story beats that happen not in the sense of necessarily scheduled events, but in terms of, of envisioning the world, mm-hmm. um, I would envision certain things. And to me, a good template felt like the movie Predator, the original one with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Now you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me for a minute by by mm-hmm. saying that, but because Predator is not, I wouldn't say a horror movie per se, but I think it gets right a lot of things in terms of the story elements. So in terms of that. Uh, impending sense of dread and uncertainty. First of all, you find out that the first team that went in, really skilled guys, okay, they're like now hanging 40 feet up, skinned alive, and you got somebody, an NPC, who hopefully says, oh, it was probably insurgents. And meanwhile, everybody's going, that that wasn't insurgents. And then you've got the guy who, by the way, may not necessarily be on your side, and oh, by the way, he keeps giving away your position in the bush every five minutes. So that sucks. And then it all leads up to you hit the wrong depot. Well, there's something out of your control. Now you're cut off. Now you have to hike. It's the worst possible terrain ever. And oh, by the way, the jungle just came alive. Guess what? They don't do that. Some lady is screaming about it. Also, two minutes later, a 10 centimeter or 10 uh, uh, 10 inch diameter hole appears in some guy's chest, fully cauterized. The toughest guy on your team, by the way, with a huge gun, he's done. And slowly they're all picking it off. And then the best guy you got on the team, like your your tracker, your experienced guy, he turns around and says, nobody's making it out of here. To, to me, when you have all those sort of story kind of beats that happen, just like in the movie Predator, that feels like maybe it's an inexperienced horror DM a good template potentially to try to emulate. Like if I were to sit down, like I'm going to do a one shot. I want to really ramp this up in terms of loss of control, in terms of loss of uncertainty and things beyond normal human events. Like, you know, the air just doesn't shimmer like that. Right. Like that sort of stuff. I might try to hype those sort of things up um, to maybe sort of get my players to that, to that desperate breaking point um, where ultimately maybe they, they can potentially survive and feel that relief, or maybe they get wiped out at the end. Right. And I'd be curious in terms of that line of thinking, what, what your all's reactions uh, are. Well, that's, that's straight up pacing and tone. And um, you know, th- there's a lot of like, you know, the, the guys keep dropping. So that's, that's, you know, a little bit on the slasher side, but that pacing is exact. And again, I have to cite back, like, I'm going to have to have you like break the poltergeist method down, which I coined, coined by a, a buddy of our Xander. Um, and it very much is about the poltergeist movie, but, I think if if I can have you just r- do a quick rundown on the poltergeist method, Alex, and then as you say it, think about Predator, because I think you'll see that it's that pacing, that tonal shift is kind of the same beats. Sure. So in in terms of like planning almost uh, almost any sort of campaign, Put in, in terms in terms of drama <laughs> and story, and in terms of a master plot, I tip I typically run amusement park method. By the way where people can go anywhere in the park. So they have these nodes and they have all these choices, but then once they kind of get on a ride, they're on rails for a little while. They experience that part of the world for a little while, and then maybe they can go somewhere else. 
So, so that's usually my typical MO. And generally in terms of story beats, I think about, okay, what, what does the big bad look like? What does the evil in the basement look like? Ultimately the heroes will have to go down and confront this evil in the basement. And then I reverse engineer and work backwards to that, to that moment. And so characters aren't going to immediately, because evil doesn't work this way, have the poltergeist spring out and scene one. They're not even going to know it's poltergeist. They're not even going to know anything's wrong with the world. They're just going to be going about their day. Then they might hear some chains rattle. They might hear a rumor that something is wrong. And then they're going to get embroiled in some events that gradually lead and build towards, oh, there are books being stacked, you know, in terms of like story beats. Oh, something else is wrong over here. Like people saw like some apparition. Oh, that's not good. Maybe they encounter the big bad somewhere along the way, but, you know, but it gets away or they get crushed and have to regroup. And then ultimately it all builds till they're down in the basement trying to do an exorcism metaphorically in terms of the story. Like they have to go where evil exists and, and sort of quash it. And that's sort of a formula or technique that I use it, because I, I find that a lot of people don't understand story. Like, how do I do a good, like, I'm a new DM. How do I do a great story, right? He, here are the beats and here's a formula that you can replicate, kind of back end your way into some good DMing almost, you know, in, in order to, to tell a good story at your table. So, so that's the poltergeist method and sort of how I kind of approach it. I think where I say the movie Predator differs is in terms of that pacing and tone, the things that are happening that are constantly outside of these characters uh, control and that intense growing sense of dread. These guys got crushed. All these NPCs keep getting picked off. I, I think you take that formula and maybe ratchet it up to an 11. But again, I, I would be curious maybe to hear Anthony's thoughts, uh, somebody a bit more experienced than I am in, uh, uh, in, in terms of what you think about all that uh, that I just dumped on you. Sorry. Thank, <laughs> thank, thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> it's an Alex talk. Um, I think, you know, when someone buys a horror game, they think I'm going to use this horror game and I'm going to scare my players. And as we talked about at the beginning, that's not going to happen. Like you are not, you could, you could startle your players by creating that sense of fear. The, the, the character, the player wants the character to act afraid because it's scary and, and will modify their behavior because of, the, the fearfulness of the situation, that's not going to happen just because of you. They have to buy in, like we said, they have to be willing to, to bring it forward. They have to even understand what the genre is, which is why we talked about the session zero part. What kind of horror are we in? Is it a slasher, fic, slasher type thing where I should expect my character to die? So I should not be upset. I should enjoy that part. Or am I actually trying to survive? You know, all this stuff. So if we if we were going to do Predator, like how are we going to do Predator? So we, from the point of view of not looking at beats or dropping in beats, but but getting that, that collaboration going, that, that buy-in going, there's some reason for a team of military specialists to go into the jungle. So Predator, the movie, gives us the example. There's an extraction that they're specifically trained for. The deal is sweetened until they agree to do it. Fair enough. If, for example, they chose not to do it, well, then the second best team, who are also going to be their friends, are going to go in and they're going to be wiped out. So now we've got guilt on top of everything else. So eventually, probably, they're going to go. If they don't want to go that second time, 
they don't want to be playing this game. So that's that's your signal. Right. Yeah. So they go. They get there. They've got bad intelligence. But some of the things that the movie can do that it's hard to do at the table is the, the interpersonal getting a English setter tail in the face, which you can't see, but the other guys are enjoying. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what, the, what the movie can do that it's difficult to do at the table is have interactions of, between very fearful people who know something you don't know. Yes. And your, your competent player characters. Yeah. And so having a larger cast, for example, having a, a larger, having a mix of, of player and non-player characters becomes essential. You would have to. Yeah. Yeah. And portraying them believably has to become essential. We have to learn to trust the girl they find in the jungle. We have to learn to distrust their old buddy. Mm-hmm. Right. These things need to happen over the, so this is the, the story beats. So this is the agenda. This is who is this character? So I like to do that by just understanding who the character is. That's I great. make the I, character and I put them in the situation. But a lot of people will do it like at this point, like in session two, I'm going to make them suspicious of, of this character, or I'm going to make them trust this character. It may sound the same. It may look the same, but it really isn't mm-hmm. the same, right? Um, you're operating on a different different level. And, and the in the player level way, the in-character level way, the pacing is being determined by the play experience. They will trust that character when they trust that character. And they will distrust the character when they distrust it. And it doesn't matter. And I don't care when that happens. I don't care really if that happens. It's just an element that I have contributed to the situation. Whereas if I put it down in my notes in session two, the distrust is now a thing. And I have to make them distrust the character. So now I'm not focusing on atmosphere. Now I'm not focusing on tone. I'm focusing on portraying this NPC a particular way to get a particular response. Right, right, right. And it has an effect. So then we have not only the the 10 inch hole, right? Maybe that's an NPC that gets blown away. Well, I, right? I think you would have to do that. You'd have to have, if you were to run that as a one shot or even reskin it in a different type of game, which I think you could, mm-hmm. you would need a supporting cast of NPCs, just like you're talking about people that you trust, people that you don't trust. People who are wigging out, people who are giving away your position, people who are helpfully saying it's just insurgents, and everybody knows it's not insurgents, <laughs> right? And then, and then slowly, yeah. all those idiots just start getting picked off, which further heightens, right. I think, the, the the four people who are part of the players or whatever. Sure, yeah. It, so we have a, a player character who's the best friend of an NPC character. The NPC character dies horribly. If we're playing Call of Cthulhu or Delta Green or something like that, this is a huge sanity hit. Right. Yes. And that guy begins to unravel. He's like dry shaven in the in the <laughs> exactly. in the jungle Bush. thinking exactly. deep thoughts. You know. <laughs> and uh, and that in an alien, that high level of stress and agitation, that begins to spread to other characters. Yeah. Yeah. And this could be handled purely through the points, right? Well, your your buddy's upset, so please take another stress. Or it can be handled by the game master being the voice of your inner thoughts, your inner doubts, your inner worries. You know, it's like, you know, Billy, he's looking a little uh, agitated, you know, and why does he keep rubbing his his knife on his chest or, you know, you know, right. You know, why does he keep staring off into the jungle for yeah, yeah, 10 that, right. minutes? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, just this asking is, questions. 
So, so this kind of ties back to what we were talking about earlier, right? About breathing life into these NPCs, mm-hmm. um, Anthony, that you talked about so well and, and actually demonstrating that agitation. I, I think those behaviors would be so critical in terms of potentially bringing this to life. Mm-hmm. Right. This is also where, and you guys may do this automatically, but for these kind of games, especially if, if you're doing more, even for one shot, but even more than, a, a, for, especially for longer games, you, you want is, a, is the GM to have some kind of relationship map. You, you want to make a basic relationship map where you, you've got the, you know, the names and, and the lines going, you know, what their connections are, because that way you can pull in those connections, especially because if you have good players that are trying to, you know, inhabit those characters, then pulling on those relationship maps. And, um, and one thing like dead and night talks about the, the one, the one guy that gives advice in there, there are a couple of different authors to give advice in there. But one of them talks about, you know, they always use, you, you know, have romantic relationships in their game and they often put, they, they, they want to have, you know, mistrust building initially. So they'll have love triangles built in the game and things like that. Now that wouldn't obviously in your predator scenario, that's not, you're not going to do that, but having that relationship, Matt, or you could, that's you could do that. Actually. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could do that, but the, but having that relationship map is going to make it easier on you as the GM to track this stuff and, yeah. and to give those prompts. So that might be yeah, something. You got a lot of stuff on your mind. Yeah. So if you have that that easy visual cue mm-hmm. of how people are connected and that you can just make tick marks on, right. you know, like a, a red mark is a stressful interaction and a blue mark is a positive interaction. Just keep an eye on on things, you know, just just stuff to make it it easy. Well, I, I think in terms of my takeaways, you know, you you guys have hit three really good ones. And and that is, you know, one, this this focus on relationships and the, the intense focus on the NPCs. I think that's huge. Um, I, I, I think also, um, you know, you were talking about uh, Anthony, um, like maybe telling the characters how um, how they're feeling a little bit, um, you know, and, and not. Right. Asking them how yeah. they feel. I mean, well, but not necessarily, I don't think, uh, in terms of emotions, right? I think they have to generate those. But in terms of like, hey, like you're like you, you know, you're you're wondering about this guy, or you know, maybe this is making you a little bit nervous, or you feel the, the sweat prickle, maybe. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm off on that, but but I, I feel well, like there, there's a piece there, perhaps. Uh even yeah, I mean, like you're gonna tell someone how wide a door is just a second, everybody's caught. <laughs> all yep. the puppies okay. yeah and, and my third one was atmosphere by the way that was my third takeaway but yeah yeah um you're gonna you're gonna describe the physical location you're gonna describe the jungle or the, the creepy house mm-hmm. or whatever um but one thing that that often gets missed i mean we we talk about the five senses you know the, the smell or the temperature or the dampness humidity whatever of a place sometimes it's difficult to remember to include those but it's also difficult to expect a player to interpret your description of of body language or an expression properly so you know he's frowning we're going to usually link that to anger but it could be concentration it could be confusion there's a whole bunch of stuff it could be so by asking asking questions or Rather than saying he looks confused, and you could if you have a, a character who should just be able to recognize that very social character, right? You know, he's confused, but we can rely on our ambiguity again to talk about, well, you know, is he thinking about something? Yeah. 
That's brilliant. Brilliant. Right. It's as much what you say as what you don't say. Which, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Was that a shadow or did, you know, was it the shadow of a tree outside or did something just move across the room? You're not right. sure. I also think a fun one, you know, just for a brief interjection is the, you know, and, and it's like probably one of the cheesiest tricks you could use, or maybe not tricks, but it's probably like, it's like that cheap tool you buy on the way out. It's on the rack next to the gum. You know, it's that little flashlight, kind of a GM tool. The, the, uh, the simple question, are you sure? That one will send them <laughs> nuts. And it's like the simplest, easiest thing. Oh, I'm going to open the door. Are you sure? How do you open the door? The little thing, are you sure you want to do that? Like that, that'll, it's yeah. a, it's, it's more gimmicky, but uh, I mean, but it, it has the same effect as reaching out for the, the Jenga piece, yeah. right? You're, you're, you're smashing the, the player in the fields there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Like, oh, I need you to tell me exactly thoughts. how you open the door. Yeah. It makes them second guess <laughs> and start doubting themselves. And I guess that flows right into that same tone, you know, that same kind of horror element. That 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 ambiguity or the ambiguity uh, ambiguity that you were talking about is if they're doubting their own mind, you're probably going to have a successful horror game. <laughs> but again, with the buy-in, player buy-in. Yeah. The, the other thing, of course, in this, no matter what genre you're playing, you, you know, immerse yourself outside the game. You, you, the GM, in reading, you know, that genre. Or, or, or absorbing that genre on your off that listen to audiobooks do it because i we were talking we had a panel member that couldn't make it but he does such a great job in his games because he's immersed in you know not only the old pulps but the you know newer sword and sorcery stories and all this kind of stuff and so when he's doing descriptions at, you know in the games that i'm in with him the, the descriptions are just so spot on and so evocative it, it sounds like you know howard's you know, you know doing it right or whoever you know pick your favorite pulp or, or sword sorcery author and, and so it obviously you're you don't want to just sound like a book but the more you are immersed in the genre whatever the genre is the more those mm-hmm. words are going to come freely and the descriptions are going to be there at the tip of your tongue yeah. to you know so so it sounds right if, if that makes sense and that's a two-way street right mm-hmm. like if, if you didn't know that he sounded like howard you're thinking well you know this guy's a he's really good at describing things and then that's that's the end of it. But if you recognize that this this is like a, a a hook for immersion, right? You're you can actually feel yourself sinking down into into the book, and you can respond appropriately. And uh, you know, I think that's I think there's a reason why Lovecraft stories are in the Call of Cthulhu rulebook. Mm-hmm. You know, you you know whether that's the call of cthulhu or the dunwich horror or both you know yeah, yeah. that's pretty helpful very good yeah. yeah there's a huge difference between having that word of lovecraftian terms or eldritch terms right and actually being immersed in literature so you know it's one thing to throw undulating in into your sentence it's another thing to <laughs> you know use it correctly right so right. That's, uh, but the big wonder in the world of darkness days was tenebrous yeah <laughs> man that and maw was everywhere yeah, yeah. great well i it, so is there anything as as we come to the end of our time together is, is there anything that we haven't said that we'll, you know people would like to say is there anything topic that y- you guys 
think we, we need to cover or we should. Man, I, I guess like one quick note is, you know, look for the type of game that you want to play or run. And then there, I guarantee you there is a game system out there that was kind of specifically built and tailored for that specific type that you're looking for. So like, mm-hmm. you know, just do pull out that Google real quick and just do a quick search, you know, but, but, but truly know like what it is you're looking for. And, and there is a game for that. There is one purpose built to help support that kind of thing, but you can yeah. kind of play any game and make it fit, but there are games out with specific tools that I think uh, could, could help some folks out. Yeah, and it's all like light or heavy doesn't matter so much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, to Alex's point about the system getting out of the way, that that feeling of the system not being in the way is tied more to your familiarity with it than to any particular property of its own. Like the lightest game that you don't know, you're still thinking about how do I do this? It just is. So if we want to do GURPS horror or we want to do Call of Cthulhu horror or if we want to do horror in in Mithras, a full-blown, full-featured D100, or if we want to do horror in Savage Worlds or in Ubiquity, you know, there's stuff to learn at the beginning, and then you learn it, yeah, and yeah. and then you start to really play. So ex- expect a period of of uh, less than satisfactory results, maybe at the beginning, and sure, yeah, that's true in all things. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not going to be good when you start. <laughs> yeah, I, I ran a, a aces and eights game last night, and, and we mm. used the online VTG tools and all, and it went pretty well. Um, but it because it's the first time that group had played, you know, when you're doing the the count, the ace and eights acts on on a count. You know, who who who's acting on four? Who's because you know, each count is a tenth of a second, and you, you know, so it was a little bit clunky. Now, two or three games in, it you know, it'd be a lot smoother, but that initial session, you know, just, just because we're all, you know, everybody's learning the, the rules and all, it's going to be a little bit clunky, but, um, and any, um, f- final thoughts are out. No, I was, I was just musing about how, you know, everybody has to learn how to drive a car, right. You know, well, I mean, not mm-hmm. everybody, but, but generally your experience is if you, if you learn to drive a car, right. Your first time, it's not so hot. But then eventually you get to the point where you just wake up at your destination and go, how did I get here today? I'm not sure. <laughs> not sure how that happened. I think the same would be true for game systems. You know, if you run them enough, it does get to the point where, you know, it's just on automatic autopilot. So yeah. for the most part, now there are some, <laughs> if you're constantly looking up charts, maybe that that's not, that not quite the case, but. Right. Yeah. I, I, I think my final thought would be go, go back to very beginning what, what Joe said in the very beginning. You, you have to know your players and, and you have to accept as much as you want to run a certain game. If your players aren't into it, just accept your, you, that group is not going to run play hard that's, that's and, and don't try to force it. Just, yeah. just accept yeah. it. Maybe you'll find another group at another point or whatever. Not saying leave that group, but just accept that game style is not going to work with those players and just play what will work with them. You, you know, but, but don't, it, especially what we're talking about, trying to do a, atmospheric horror game is not something that could be forced and it's just one of those things you just have to if you don't have the buy-in just decide what game you guys can play together and and have fun playing that game together all right the the hobby is 90 percent communication so talk to your players (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, Jason, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Uh, I'm glad to hear that my predator idea as a template maybe is has has some legs. Anthony's giving me the thumbs up, so take that as a really good sign. And uh, Anthony, it was really great meeting you. And uh, you too. I, I understand you're kind of far away, but uh, man, I'd love to get in the game with you sometime. So uh, that that would be uh, be great to link up with you at some point. But really a pleasure uh, talking to you. Thank you for all your uh, all your advice and insight. And Joe, we have- you know, I I know you, dude. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. <laughs> no, no. We have just proven that the four of us can sync up a schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It- Mm, true. Well, and and you know, and for the folks who are listening too, there was a lot of head nodding going on. So, you know, for all these folks, uh, you know, who were talking about stuff like we were all sort of nodding along. Like I think in general, a lot of us, uh, you know, are, are really on similar wavelengths. I, I think there's a few differences, but I there's a lot that we're agreeing on in terms of uh, this horror talk. So that was uh, that was really cool to see us come together. So yeah, thanks again, I- Jason. Yeah, no, thank you guys for coming on. I really appreciate your coming. I, I guess the last thing we'll do here before we sign off is if you want to plug anything and, and we'll go around. Um, Anthony, anything to plug? Um, I'm currently writing something I can't talk about and I'm editing something I can't talk about. So I can't talk about that. Uh, a lot of, I guess there's a, there's a really old but beloved blog post on my blog at castingshadowsblog.com called on fear horror terror you know and cosmic horror on on a dime a day and uh so i think if you type brune slinger on a dime a day or something it'll just pop up and uh, uh that has uh, my thoughts on on using the environment in horror and, and, and that kind of thing but uh but no, i just really enjoyed being here it's fun thanks for excellent asking. there'll be a link to that in the show notes folks uh alex anything to plug yeah, I, I mean, I would just say uh, Joe and I are very active over in the Runehammer community. Uh, that's no secret. Uh, you can either find us there on Facebook or on the Runehammer Discord um, or on the Runehammer forums. Uh, so there is a dedicated forum online. And then, of course, we've just launched uh, our own channel, Ultimate Effort, uh, the Ultimate Effort Show with Alex and Joe, um, where we're trying to showcase a lot of the cool members of our community. Uh, we have a ton of people who don't just play ICRPG. They're playing all kinds of games. We want to showcase those people, you know, kind of like Anthony, you know, uh, and you, Jason, like really good folks who are in the hobby. And, and we don't all do things the same way, but it's awesome to uh, to talk to those folks and hear about their experiences and what they're doing. And um, so that's great. And then uh, I think, Joe, we're trying to dole out some DM advice here and there. So uh, come check us out. Ultimate Effort Show. Cool. Uh, Joe, anything to plug? Um, yeah, and I'll give a shout out to... Uh, never sleep again could be a fun horror one shot uh, i know you had um oh my gosh how did i just space on daniel uh, norton bandits yeah keep. daniel norton bandits keep i can't believe i just oh i'm sorry dan <laughs> um yeah I, I, you just had him talk about it i would recommend using if you go to look at that on drive through watch watch that uh or listen to that that podcast that that interview with daniel there that uh when they did a review of never sleep again uh and run it the way he talks about because that was brilliant way better than what i had that's that's all i got okay, I, I, <laughs> I will put a link to that in the show notes as well and like alex said ultimate effort show thanks excellent so thank you so much for coming on really appreciate it hopefully we can get you all on again sometime for for a different topic i really enjoyed having you guys guests on story before so okay. thank you take care folks we'll talk to you next week bye Let's see.